0: Bigger Talks, Bigger Talks. Yes, we have another episode in this one. OMG, I'm so excited because we get to get some perspective. And it's Black History Month. So I want to invite my guest for today's podcast, Sergeant Matthew R. Drayton. He spent 20-plus years in the U.S. Army. He's an author, a writer, a writer. Uh, a motivation and I I, I like to call him the general like I just met this guy briefly and I feel like I know him um I love his energy and I can't wait to hear what he has to say about leading while black and succeeding while black so uh perspective is going to be motivational inspirational and people please listen to what this man has to say he's served his purpose in the U.S. army and in life and uh, he's also uh, has his training certification from the fitness background. <laughs> so we're going to talk all things, uh, you know, being black, uh, African-American, being a leader and uh, just dealing with the challenges and changes over the years. And I'll uh, get to hear life from his perspective. So uh, Sergeant Drayton, if I can call you, welcome to the podcast, Bigger Talks. And uh, I'm happy to have you here, man. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey Eric, thanks for having me. I'm, it's a privilege to be here talking with you today and I'm um, looking forward to uh, speaking to your audience about leadership and uh, some of the experiences I had while I was in the military and post-military.
0: I love it, I love it. So just to break the ice, and it, it's, it might be a rhetorical question, but I'm a big person of perspective and I believe there's no white and black. When I say white and black, there's not either this way or that way. There's not one size fit all. So you're older than me. So the way I grew up versus your way could be t- completely different. So what is your definition of being black? What does that mean? How do you see that? How do you define it from your perspective?
1: So, and you're right. I am a, a couple of years older than you. Yeah, I'm gonna I yeah, yeah. say a couple, but it's actually <laughs> a lot more, probably. But, but but let me let me say this. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s in the South, okay? Uh, And, you know, that perspective of being black has a lot to do, I think, from where you were raised, because uh, I've got family members that are in the north and and grew up out west, like in California, where you are. And when I talk to them about their black experience, it's totally different. However, uh, I will tell you, uh, needless to say, and and my father, you know, I'll I'll talk about him real briefly. You know, I I used to get frustrated. He would say, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am, to people half his age. Mm. And, and that would bother me. And you know, I would say, hey, Pops, why are you saying yes, sir and yes, ma'am to this 20-year-old and you're in your 50s? And you know, he would come back and say, hey, listen, you know, where we live, this is customary. Also, it doesn't hurt me to do this, especially if you're we're at a bank or a store someplace where I need something from that individual. So I show them some respect. And, and that kind of stayed with me. You know, I was a little boy, but I remembered that. But, but my Black experience was definitely... Uh, a typical Southern uh, experience where African-American males, especially, had to act a certain way, uh, had to um, watch their surroundings. Um, and also, you know, in, in the workplace, I mean, you, there was not a whole lot of room for advancement. You know, you, uh, you always started at the lowest rung. And most times, in most cases, that's where you stayed uh, due to educational opportunities and other things. So that was kind of my black experience growing up. Interesting.
0: And with that being said, so you say you grew up in Georgia, right? What part?
1: Correct. Uh, Grew up in Savannah. I don't know if you've ever been there.
0: Yeah, I had a friend whose uh, wife is from out there. Okay. Uh, You know, it's interesting time and perspective. So I went to Nashville, Tennessee about a year ago to visit a friend. And I got me a nice boutique hotel. It was like near downtown. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see many black people. And right. so I, I can't say uh, Nashville is considered the South. Maybe it is. Yeah. But my experience being in a hotel and then running into black individuals, their energy was different with me. Like they was excited to see me. Like, like I was like, and most of the people who did, how do I classify this? So the the guys at the front desk or well, who was running the spot, they wasn't black. But the guys who was coming to bring me an ironing board or check if my my shower's working, they were black. More so like the everyone's service, yeah. And so customer service people, yeah. it was just interesting. And I've never experienced anything like that. And by the way, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, so I grew up in a predominantly black environment. Uh, and it was that's all I knew. Inner city, tough, but these are your people. So I say all that to say, what is because. I have a friend who's from um, Skipperville, Alabama. His name is Brian Johnson. He actually is my uh, BJ the Dream. He's my book publisher and he's from the South. So what he, they always say being black in the South, like it has a ring to it. Like it has a, uh, it's a connotation that comes with it. What does that actually mean for someone like myself and someone who's not from the South um, in those times or maybe in these times?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting you brought up Nashville, you know, Nashville was the last vacation my wife and I took before COVID. Okay. So we went down there like in the fall of 2019. Uh, it was our first time going to Nashville. We stayed in an area called the Gulch. Okay. So that was kind of a, uh, it was a nice area. We, uh, the, the hotel we stayed in was very nice. It had a rooftop bar, things like that. And, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because we we experienced some of the same things. There were a couple of front desk people that were black there. And they seem really excited to see us. And they really, you know, if I came and asked for something, they really took good care of me. So I really appreciated that. So I experienced yeah. that. Uh, back to your question as far as uh the, the growing up in the south and, and how how I think what you're asking me is how can I how explain it to someone who isn't from the south? That is that kind of what you're Yeah, it's like in Baltimore,
0: you know, we have an accent. So we don't say Baltimore, we say Baltimore. We say mother right. we say father so I was slain. Right. Right. some other people might not understand but I can break it down to them right so when you say you're from the south yeah I know you're from the south but being being black in the south you know I had some people who are not black from there say, so, oh no it's different yeah. I got some black friends that grew up in the south and oh it's and I don't want to say racist I don't know if that's the because that's so general but I'm trying to understand the details of what that really means for someone who doesn't understand it, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah so let me, so I'll start back um, some, of, some of the things. So when I, so I was part of the first school integration in like 1970, all right? Okay. So I lived in a black neighborhood, predominantly black. We had some uh, white families sprinkled in there but not very many. So they bust the white kids into our schools. And so this was the first time that I had ever had any interaction with a white person. I'm very thankful for it, by the way, because uh, what it allowed me to do was, was learn more about them and better help me be able to navigate as a man in the world. Because there's, there's differences, and you have to be able to talk and, and work through those differences and understand people for what they are. So that was, that was very helpful. But growing up, one of the things that I, I kind of noticed right out of the gate, was uh, there were a ton of stereotypes. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the kid that I came real close to, his name is Carl Schilwalter. I, I don't. I tried to reach out to him a couple of years back when I wrote my first book, and I, I got a hold of his father, but I was not able. He would not return my call because you know I call I cold <laughs> called him you know, and I understand that. But me and this kid, so we would sit down and literally share notes all day about our different cultures, and. So that so that gave me some some perspective of white people but I will tell you uh, growing up down there my dad he he always told me hey you what you can and cannot do. So so I felt like I had a restrictor plate on me my whole life as a kid. Yeah. You know, where I could go, what what neighborhoods I could be in, um what I could say to people. Uh you know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely so, so as an adult, you know, so, so think about this. Now the military helped me to break out of that shell because, you know, you, get, you go in the military, it's a little different there too. You, you, you know, immediately, you know, people are yelling at you. And, and it, you got, is, it is,
0: is this, is this, is this what color as well and race as well is, is, is difficult even more you're saying, or just in general, because it in, is in, in general, general, I'm
1: talking in general, yeah. and we can talk about race in the military later on, but, yeah, but absolutely. in general, you know, the military is a different mindset. So, so that, Got me out of my comfort zone and got me gave me more confidence to speak up. But if you could imagine, um, just hundreds of black boys growing up with that restrictor plate on them, not you know not having that confidence, uh, uh, being leery, you know looking around every corner, uh, then that kind of molds you for what you're going to be. You know everybody doesn't get that opportunity to go to college, to go out in the world and, and do other things. So you kind of your mindset stays that way. And, it, and unfortunately, some people, they, they don't ever fully develop, you know, because of those uh, because of their upbringing in uh, yeah. and, and the South. Then that's the South in a, in a nutshell. It's just ah. uh, it's especially especially for black males. I mean, it was, uh, you know, women have always black women, have, in my opinion, have always kind of not been looked at as much as a, of a threat. And uh, and, you know. You can go back to the to, to to the old days of slavery and even forward. You know, black women were allowed in the homes to take care of family. I mean, they they had access yeah, that yeah. black men could not get.
0: Yeah. So you were saying, you know, black men growing up in the South in your time and maybe still to today, they had mental barriers that are put on them that they might not subconsciously understand, and right. they're living from a fixed mindset, and they might want to adapt a growth mindset, but they don't know how to. Uh, enhance or develop that because of you know subconscious restrictions and it's interesting you know the polarity of that growing up in the south with the discrimination and the restrictions it was like that for me growing up in Baltimore City where there's was a lot of drugs being sold a lot of violence um and a lot of just negativity so you you go to certain if you go out at night you know you're looking over your shoulder or you walking home from the store basketball practice you got to. He had to be on a swivel like right. it's, you know, and it's, it's odd, but that was my reality as a young man. Um, I, I heard you mention uh, being in the army. So I played sports growing up, very disciplined and I'm about results and I'm about getting things done. So before you got into the army, what was your profession or what was, what kept you busy the most and what was the intentions to join the army back in your day?
1: Yeah. So, uh... So, I, so, like you, I was a, a decent athlete. I played uh, sports. I played sports in high school. Um, I played uh, basketball and football. But, you know, one thing about football, you get in high school, and then you start realizing, hey, I'm not as big as some of these other guys. <laughs> right. And then these cats start running you over. This, this guy Gregory ran me over one time, and that was kind of my uh, epiphany on, hey, you know, I'm going to find something else to do. So I, I gave up football, I stuck with basketball for a while, but then uh, I kind of got more concerned about my finances. And so I started taking little odd jobs there in Savannah, and I started working uh, at grocery stores, restaurants, wherever I could work. And, uh, and that kind of got me, you know, into my, you know, into my in, into a mindset where I could get out on my own. Yeah. Uh, the military now I will tell you, I so 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 I grew up under privilege, you know. My parents didn't. My father. I'm an only child. Okay. My mother died when I was six years old. So. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, man. So so I was kind of a. So I don't know if you know what a latchkey kid is. Yeah. Can you explain? A, a latchkey kid is a kid who has a key to get in, to let himself in and out of his house while their parents at work. Oh wow! So I was kind of you know I you know I didn't have any adult supervision. So while my father so when I got home from school you know, I could or could not do my fa- my homework, you know, my father was not uh, a well-educated man. So he, he couldn't check on in me on me, check in on me with my homework. And so I would let myself in and out, but I'd be running the streets, you know, getting into a little bit of everything. And uh, thank God, you know, back, back then, there were people in the neighborhood that could jack you up and, and tighten you up if you got out of line. And, and a lot of, and there was a lot of that going on for me. And, and I, I thank God for that to this day, because Who knows where I would be? Yeah. But uh, so after I graduated from high school, I said, you know, um, man, I got to do something. So I I went for a job one afternoon and then I I ran by the recruiter station. And I ran by and I looked up and I saw it and I ran back and I went in there. And I will tell anybody within earshot, don't ever go into a recruiter station without a plan. (laughs) Because, man, listen, this dude, long story short, I walked out of there, signed up. I mean, oh, he, wow. Oh, he yeah. He, man, he promised me the world, told me everything. And what was interesting about it. So, you know, so I sign up and I take the delayed entry. So this is June. Um, now I'm in six months. I'm leaving to go uh, report for uh, basic training. And I go tell my pops and he's like, man, you that guy tricked you. I'm going to go take you back down and get you out of this thing. You know, and I said, no, nope, pops, I want to do it. And I'm really glad I did. My initial Uh, thing with the military was to do it uh, just to get away for a while. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Savannah's not a a big city like Baltimore, but there was crime. There was drugs. uh, There was a lot of uh, black on black crime, murders and things like that happening. So, you know, I just wanted to initially get away from that and uh, travel a little bit, see the world and make some money. That was my initial plan. However, you know, once I got in, I started uh, liking it. I, I was traveling a lot. Uh, I was able to, uh, you know, make some decent money. Well, not back then, but it at, over time. And you know, I met my wife. Uh, just yeah, things started happening, and uh, before I knew it, man, I had done 26 years and uh, had retired at the rank of sergeant major. So, so it was great. I mean, I uh, I, I, I I owe the military a lot, but uh, but through my travels, and that was why I wrote the book "Leading While Black" because as a black man, there's different leadership challenges that yeah. you face. And I'm sure there's many examples out there, but uh, in my book, I talk specifically about some of the things I dealt with. And then I always feel like paying it forward is very important. So the things I put in this book can help anyone, any leader, but specifically young African-Americans who find themselves in leadership positions. And quite frankly, uh, Eric, when you're in that position, a lot of times you're lonely. There's not a whole lot of uh, people sitting at that table with you. You know?
0: Yeah, and, and, it, and it's interesting you say that because I like to tell my listeners and my followers, you must have a plan, but that plan must come with intentions. And it sounded like you had a plan with intentions. You wanted to make some money. You wanted to get out of, you know, Savannah. And then that led to many other things. Uh, I can relate because when I graduated from college, Hampton University, 2010, mm-hmm. my plan was to get out of Baltimore. My dad set me down, I don't want you to be here. It's dangerous in the city. You just graduated. I think you should go to L.A. He put the battery in my back. I left. When I got here, the intention was to go to grad school, right? I had an interview with a company. Come to find out, it was a scam. But that led to so many other advancements. And then, you know, my life took off seven years later. Um, But like you said, leading while black, you know, when you come from a place of Baltimore like myself, you don't look at yourself as like, oh, I'm black, I'm African American, because everybody around you is black. Correct. Um, your school, Hampton University, all-Black university. So this is all I know. But when I touched based in uh, L.A., what I loved about it, that it was diverse, that it was different, right. that people were open and people were accepting. But I did realize, and I guess I can say what, when I got here, I had a goatee. Then I was clean shaven. And I realized how people were responding to me differently based on my facial hair. So that's us piggyback back off of the, uh, the book. What was your, cause I like the title and like my aunt, she's like, she's very like an inspiration of mine, her name is Renee Myers. Uh, she did a Ted talk on um, diversity. Um, mm-hmm. and she's a diversity inclusion uh, VP over at Netflix. And like she grew up in different times but I, I believe she can relate to the book but as anyone else in her position as well as you. But for a young man like me, what is it that you want people to get from the book, and what is the things to be aware of?
1: So, so one of the things, uh, so, so the title, uh, so the 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 phrase "wild black" always yeah. has a negative connotation with it. Yeah, yeah. Driving wild black, working wild black, you know, it's always something negative. So, in both of my books, I wanted to take that negative connotation and kind of turn it on its head and put something positive in front of it yeah um so as far as what i want people to get from leading wild black the first lesson i want them to, to get the first thing i want them to understand is leadership or the lack thereof is the leading cause of most of the problems in the world today period and and you know i think a lot of people when they think about leadership they're thinking well you know it's, it's, it's being in charge of things, but, but leadership applies to your daily life and how you even deal with your internal things you have to deal with. You have to have a plan. You have to have a system. And so you don't always have to be in charge of people to be a leader. And that's one of the things I want to drive home. Can you say that again, please? You don't always have to be <laughs> in charge of people to be a leader. Thank you. You know, you, leading is doing what's right, at all times, when it's required, that's what leading is, and and yeah. and taking initiative, and and, and, and uh, taking risk, and and cha- and being challenged. Um, so, here's the thing, and 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 I, and this is for, but now what I'm going to talk about now is for for blacks who are in a leadership position, people who ha- who are are CEOs or or, or uh, counselors, people who have a position where they have people they work that work for them. So. One of the things I, I experienced whenever I was in a leadership position and in, uh, in the military, you know if you if you arise to a, a leadership position, you're in charge of everybody. So whoever's under you, white, black or, or, or indifferent, you know those are the people who work for you. Uh, I found that I always had to prove myself mm. a little bit more than my white counterparts. Um, you know, about I want to say last August and you can look this up, it's on YouTube. So the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, he is a uh, black retired general. He is now the uh, President Biden's Secretary of Defense. Uh, they did a uh, a sixty minute special with him and uh, General Johnson. He's uh, in charge of the Air Force. He's a four star, I think, the Air Force Chief of Staff. Yeah. And they asked uh, General Austin. They said, "Hey, you know, g- give us some some history about your about your military background and and, and how race played into it." And one of the things he said, and it stuck with me, and I, and I talk about this all the time. So when he was in the 82nd Airborne Division here at Fort Bragg, he was the first black operations officer in his uh, battalion or brigade. Now, when you're the operations officer, you're the guy who puts out all the orders for how uh, operations are going to be conducted. You are the guy who briefs. General Austin would let a white officer brief for him because he felt like the men were more receptive to it. Mm. And, and think about that. I mean, this guy—he's in charge, but he's yeah. And and then he he also talked about when he became a general, and he would uh, and wearing civilian clothes, and they would go somewhere like to a foreign country, and uh, they he would get off the airplane. He said they would walk right past him to a lesser-ranking white officer, thinking they were the general. Mm. So these are perceptions. These these are yeah. things that are real. Now, and this is like I said. This can be looked up. You can find this online. It's, it's out there
0: on YouTube. But- no, I believe it. And that's the thing. It, when you were speaking, I was thinking like, mm, because I, I, I do a lot of research and study in human psychology, energy, okay. spirituality. So my question to you, uh, did that occurrences or those experiences come from a subconscious blueprint because what the world has programmed us to believe from history and the media? Or is that something... Blacks in that era that time, always experiencing that they said, you know what? I'd rather be right, I'd rather be, I'd rather, uh, what's the word? I'd rather be, I'd rather do what's right and not what I think is smart. No, I'd rather be smart than right. And right is I'd, I'd rather be the leader doing the right thing and I'd rather be smart and let my counterparts that will people be receptive to listen to them.
1: Right, yeah, I think he was doing uh, what we call basically survival. Okay. Okay. Got it.
0: I like because because
1: because here's 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 the thing. If if he if he gets up and, and gives the briefing, and half of the guys tune out and don't pick up on everything he's saying, and or don't take copious notes and forget something, then that's going to come back on him. Ah. Say, this guy, this guy's a horrible briefer. He's responsible regardless. He, he's a horrible briefer, and so so he is looking at it from an angle of you know what, it's fine. I'm going to let. I am. I am comfortable enough in my own skin to let this guy breathe because it's going to do what's best for all of us, for us all. And sometimes, and, and that is a sacrifice that he made because yeah, he could have said, Hey, look guys, you're going to listen to me. You know, I'm going to be the one standing up here, but he didn't worry about that. Yeah. You know, one of the other things he talked about too, one of the quotes he made and I, that's one that I definitely could identify with. He said, Hey, there's not a day that I wake up that I don't, Take into account and think about that. I'm a black man. Mm. Now think about that, and, and I listen. I can identify with that wholeheartedly because, again, uh, it, it, especially if you, it depend, especially if you're in a situation where you're um, in, in, in a leadership position and you have a, a lot of responsibility.
0: Yeah, and when you get put in a position that you've never been in, and then now you're looking at things differently. And I I could contribute to that saying because for me coming from Baltimore, moving to LA, never had any intentions of going on TV or doing anything in Hollywood, things changed. I got a big break. And what I had that happened to me was guilt, survivor's remorse, um, and I felt, wow, I'm the only one in this position. How do I maneuver through this? Not only, not as so being a, a black man, but being a man that people saw to be black that was with a bunch of white people. Right. So they didn't know I came from Baltimore City. They right. thought I grew up with mom, dad, I'm from the suburbs, you carry right. yourself well. Right. Here's the, here's the kicker to my life, you know, post show in the last six, no, the last 10 years, my manager. So my manager, yep. African-American, male, Uh, he looks like he comes from, or oh, comes off from the urban community, you know, but he grew up in predominantly white area, Illinois, around a predominantly white audience and background. So he really experienced what it's like to be neglected or looked upon or the guy who scored all the points on the team. Nice. So him and another friend, we were out one night and we were with, you know, some different type of people. And I'm not saying they got triggered by something, but I knew they was aware of something I wasn't aware of because I didn't grow up in their setting as, as a kid. Right. Well, so when that's where I got on when we got, when we first started, I was like, what is your perception of being black? Because a lot of people thought, oh, you get, you experienced racism? I was like, not really. I grew up around black people most of my life. Right. So it's, it's interesting. I also want to talk about, I don't know if this is a term, if this is the right definition, colorism. Um, when I say colorism, I'm meaning like uh, your skin color,
1: right? Light you, skin versus dark skin. Right,
0: right, right. And then also like your class, like, you know, you black, but you come from the suburbs. When you go to the inner city, right. you're not accepted. Um, or light skin, skin versus darker skin. Was that like a thing for you coming up? Was that a thing in the military with men and women? What's the reality? Let's speak on that. So, because, you
1: know, <laughs> I, I, you know why I'm laughing right now, uh, so I got to share this with you. And uh, yeah. hey, look, I'm my life's an open book. I'm I've got all kind of issues. I'm not perfect, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when I was a kid, I really struggled with being dark skinned I'm a dark skinned male. Of course, yeah, you know yeah. we call it chocolate now. Everybody's yeah, yeah, chocolate. It, it's baby. all good. Ain't nothing you know, wrong. With Mars, it. Mars chestnut and guys <laughs> like that. <running laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but you know, when I was a kid, and I you know I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I used to put Noxzema on my face, man, to try to burn the darkness all away. Wow. Yeah. This is, and I mean, I did this daily. I would put Noxzema yeah. on my face uh-huh. to try to burn the darkness away. There was a kid in my block. His name was Aubrey. He was uh, light-skinned and bow-legged. And all, the girls, <laughs> man, all the girls just loved it. So, man, I, so I wanted to be light-skinned and I wanted yeah. to be bow-legged,
0: man, yeah. you know?
1: And uh, so, and, you know, we grew up, when I grew up, man, everybody idolized the little light-skinned girls. Yeah. You know, I mean, this was a thing and, and now, and nobody taught this to me. Nobody came to yeah, me and said, Hey, yeah, yeah. you need to This is this. I took all this on myself.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, most of the young girls that I tried to date in, in, in middle school and high school were light-skinned. Yeah. You, you know? And yeah. All, so, so, <laughs> so a lot of a lot of this is is it, it just permeates through society, you know. Yeah. And I think you know, sometimes we pick up on we do things we're we don't even realize we're programmed to do. And that's what I was just saying. You know, well, I'm my era growing up.
0: You know, you had that pretty red bone, the light skinned right. girl, right? Right. Or my my friend, she 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 made me aware of this. She was like, "Well, I come from. We always say she's pretty for for uh." what you say? Pretty dark skinned girl. She pretty for a, right. a, a, a dark darker skin. girl. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, so when you think about it, we used to say this consistently. Right. right. What you mean she pretty for a dark girl? Like, What does that mean? Like, If she pretty, she's pretty. But you're not even aware of the programming because everyone is saying it and it becomes a thing. So I didn't even know that was a thing with me being lighter skin. You know, people even thought you were soft or you was weak. Right. So they would try you. So it's it's just, it's just funny, it ebbs and flows, but it's a reality that a lot of people face. You know, we got mental health Um, in these days, we got bullying, that's a big thing. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to own their skin color, for them to own their power, but more importantly, understand it and saying, look, it's okay. Yeah. But the media does promote certain imagery and, right. and things that make people think I want to be this and not what I am already.
1: So. And, and you know, that. colorism is, is one part of it, but uh, another thing that I've that I experienced uh, throughout my career uh, with uh, with some blacks that got into positions of of leadership and or got into uh, uh, organizations where there were very few uh, African-Americans. A lot of times you would see these individuals morph. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that is uh, they start taking on interest uh, uh, appearances and doing things to kind of fit in. You know, I will tell you that is, I am like dead set against that. And I recommend to anyone when you go somewhere, uh, because normally when you conduct an interview for a job, whatever you presented that interview should be what and who you are. Yeah. And a lot of times that is what that organization has decided. Yeah. This is what we want. We want Eric. Yeah. We want the Eric that sat before us. But a lot, what happens a lot of times, when people get the job and then they get in there and they don't fit in quite like they probably think they should, they start morphing into something else. I mean, I've seen guys do everything from star riding Harleys, you know, I mean, like <laughs> really with that far, I've, I've seen this. Wow. I, mean, I, 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 I saw a young man come in. Um, He was, you know, just young black guy, you know, yeah. He didn't he didn't have an uh, interest like Harley Davidson or anything, anything like that. Now I'm not saying you can't pick up on it and, and start becoming it, but but he started dipping tobacco. Wow. I mean, you know, he started wearing like the chains hanging from his pockets. I mean, it is yeah. He was totally and and you know, I think I think people can see through that.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and I think I don't think anyone has to do that to fit in. I think you need to be yourself. Yeah. Uh, whatever you bring to the table, uh, work hard. And I think you'll be fine uh, on, on the job, but, but, but don't morph. And, and this is, that's a little bit off of, you know, the, the colorism thing, but. No, I, a, I think that's
0: a great point. Cause. Yeah. It's something I, I that question, I, yeah. To follow up. How do you teach that? Because when I came to LA and I got my first corporate job, I was a manager at and You got to be clean shaven. The, the right. culture is predominantly white. Right. So what I adapted, what I morphed to—I don't want to say morph—but what I picked up on was that I was myself, but I was myself for the benefit of what I was doing. So what happened was, I portrayed myself as, "Oh yeah, what's up? He's, he, you know, he's a he's a nice guy," which I am. But right. she would never thought I come from the hood of Baltimore City, right? Right. Um, you know, always smiling, ultra positive, extra right. positivity, and but what I did realize, coming from my background, it, it, I got to a point where I'm like, man, I'm cursing a lot. You know? I'm cursing yeah. a lot from the music I'm listening to. I'm right. speaking really fast, right? right. Because right. I'm not really pronouncing Because this is what happened to me in college. Say that again. What's your name? I say, Err. say, what? I used to get offended. Yeah. It's Err. And he's like, Err? So then I started realizing, like, oh, I'm not finishing my words. It's Eric it's not Baltimore it's Baltimore so then you have things of code switching but my dialect says I should say Baltimore Uh, Baltimore. right so what how does a person because my cousin and I we talk about that how does a person not get so ingrained into that not taking sides and not morphing but having balance because then let's take it to another level I believe 85 to 90% of people in life are not themselves, especially when it comes to work. And that's why I'm not for the cancel culture.
1: Yeah. So, so you're talking about, so you're talking about, so what you talked about. So, so I, the way I'm speaking now, yeah. this is not how I spoke when I was a, a young man growing up in Georgia. I, I used a lot of slang, Yeah. you know, from the South, man. I mean, you know, talk crunk, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you already know. <laughs> no, no, I mean that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. I mean that's how we spoke. But, yeah, we spoke, yeah. Uh, but but now I think what I'm not saying don't improve how you communicate to better yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't uh pick up hobbies and start doing things and that to to fit in, you know, because cause the way I look at this, if you Improve your diction, or improve uh, the way you communicate orally and written. That there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is that I don't look at that as morphing. I look at that as improving yourself. Yeah. But if you're um, if you're riding Harley Davidson (laughs) and you don't care about motorcycles, then that is there we go. That's what that's 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 the (laughs) yeah I get it. That's the distinction. Which yeah. Because I definitely understand what you're saying, yeah. Because you know, obviously, you know, I've had, uh, you know, having written a couple of books, and I and I'm, you know, I'm a member of the National Speakers Association, so I speak to, to, to audiences all the time, yeah. and I have to connect with everyone. I can't just yeah. connect with one group of people, you know. Yeah. Uh, but 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 growing up in the black community, you know, it, it 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 was a lot for me. I mean, I am grateful for that because I understand, you know, struggle. I understand, you know. Uh, what it, what it means to, uh, to, to, to not have. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I understand discrimination big time, because, you know, growing up in the sixties and seventies, man, I mean, that was, there was a lot going on then. And, and uh, so, so that's what I tried to encapsulate in my book and talk about and try to give, you know, some lessons and some examples and some strategies to help people navigate their way through this stuff.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think perception is important. You know, when I went on The, uh, the Bachelor, The Bachelorette, ABC, yep. you know, that wasn't until I really could see the divide in America, because that was the first time in my life I see like, oh, okay. I see what's going on. Oh, this is what we're doing. Got it. And then I had to realize my white counterparts, I love them, but they didn't experience life the way I did Right. once you I left their present. You know, even like coming from the hood, right? Oh, you Hollywood now. You ain't got no time for us, big Hollywood, big shot. You ain't got time for us. I'm like, damn, you getting exiled for for, for growing and evolving? No, man, you phony. You. And I'm like, what is this about?
1: So it, you know, you, you know what's interesting. Uh, you talked about that, um, and so just just truth and lending. You know, I love Bachelor Nation. I mean, I'm. Yeah. I try not to watch it, you know what I mean. But my wife watches it, <laughs> yeah, and I just—it's yeah. just good entertainment, man. You know it what is, I mean. I it just, is. you know, and they and I and they do some hella editing in there because I oh, know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's interesting. You 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 brought that up about you being—I uh, don't. So you would have to, and you're a young man. You probably remember yeah. that. So M- Madonna wrote a book years ago. I think the name of the book was called Sex. Okay. A lot of pictures in that, that book. A lot of pictures in it, right? Yeah. And it was some of the stuff was pretty graphic. Well, you know who Big Daddy Kane is, the rapper. Yeah, absolutely. So, Big Daddy Kane did a couple of shots, uh, photo shots in that book. Okay. Man, listen, there was no Twitter back then, but man, I'm telling you, like magazines like The Source, and, and they came after him in a, he would have been canceled. Uh, that would have, he would have actually been canceled.
0: No, and then that's the thing, like, you know, you know, being a, a, a Black man in my position and coming from a, a predominantly white show, I got some slack from some sisters. Oh, yeah. you don't know, like, you know, we get that. And it's like, people don't understand the position they put you in or the mentality, the things you have to think about when you just being yourself and you just living life. You're not even looking at it from that angle. But people are in their perspective and they don't understand what you got to go through as an individual. So what I had to realize was that no one cares until it's them. No one is affected until they're in a position. Because I used to be this person, oh, why would he do this? And I would never do that. And it's like, okay, it's easy to say it. Wait till you get in a position. So it's, it's, it's funny and it's fun because I understand with lack of information, lack of awareness, and also paradigm shifting and perspective, we don't know, what we don't know. So we're only speaking from, our perception, which is our truth. So I can say, oh, bro, you're from the South. You haven't been near anything. You got, you was in the military, you got benefits. What do I know? You lost your mom at six years old. That's why I want to talk about how did you endure that? What was the challenges you faced with women because of that? How did you get through that? I have a friend who lost his mom last year. And you know, he told me, he said, E, I'm empty, bro. That was my pride and joy. I don't know what to do, I'm empty. Money won't change it. Right." That's a different
1: plight, you know. Yeah. And definitely, you know, just to speak about my mother a little bit, you know, I remember her. We were we were almost inseparable. I mean, she I was with her all the time. My father worked and, you know, my father struggled with uh, the bottle a little bit. He had some alcohol problems. Yeah. So when when she died at six years old, when I was six years old, it was just me and him. And he had never really spent a whole lot of time with me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So now I'm motherless and I'm an only child. So, you know, I'm, Hey man, I'm just out there trying to survive on my own, basically. Cause yeah. while my father was at work, you know, and, um, and, you know, again, I'm I'm very grateful for those people in my neighborhood that helped me grow up. But uh, I, I always felt like, and, and to this day, I always felt like my mother watched over me though. Like there she just, you know that what I mean? It, it was just, there were things, I mean, i made some mistakes that probably should have cost me, dearly you know i won't get into them yeah, but yeah. but i never but but i somehow got out of those situations and i got out of those mistakes so uh you know and and listen i'm not uh, any kind of a victim because they're look when we're born it's like a card game when whenever you come into this world it's like a hand you're dealt man you don't yeah. there, there are kids who are born like and i used to go in hospitals when i would go to uh visit and you walk by all the kids there you know and you see them in the, all of them in there laying side by side, they're all equal. But some of those kids are doomed the day they leave there. Yeah. They will never have an opportunity for, for, a, for a good life. And, and it's just, and it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the, you know, the way life is sometimes. So, so for me, you know, I've, I try to, uh, I, what I try to do is share as much knowledge as I can with people. Uh, I try to give back to, to the community that I came from as best I can. You know, uh, I, you know, my bio is, I I try not to just overload it, but you know, I, I worked with at-risk youth for like 10 years, uh, mentoring, you know, and also, uh, serve some time on some boards that work with youth, youth organizations. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's kind of where, where my, where my heart is, is, is helping young people develop, uh, helping leaders develop, you know, yeah. like I said earlier, I, I truly believe that uh, if, if you got good leadership, you know, everything else is easy.
0: Yeah, and, and it's important because growing up, at least for me, in school, we had, they spoke on Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharper. Now you look at it, I mean, uh, who do we look up to? We got, you had Louis Farrakhan, like, as a black man, if you're in a black world, you know, we look up to rappers and entertainers. You know, mine's was... Yo Gotti, Young Jeezy, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Right. You know, And the influences in my family for men, they were in the streets. Right. So I had to be the one to say, I can't make those decisions. Cause I saw, I've seen where those decisions led them. So you kind of just look at life different and you understand there's a bigger world than the world you grew up in. I just think I was protected and gifted with uh, uh, a gift to foresee. Yeah. And, you know, it led me to be in different places, to make different decisions, to have a better life. And I wasn't a follower. I was yeah. always a leader, always a captain of all my teams, always the leader of the group, took care of everybody. But also being a leader comes with sacrifice. Not only comes with sacrifice, it comes with taking risks, taking chances. Yeah. And three, it comes with really being lonely.
1: Yeah. One other thing, too, Eric, you said earlier and I, I, I picked up on. So you said it was your father who told you, Hey, yeah, I want you, I want something better for you. And I want you to go off and yeah. blossom. You know and what the, I mean? Anything about that, days- that, that? Cause that is very important. See, uh, cause one of the things, uh, and I, I experienced this when I was working with uh, young men, um, at the youth organizations, uh, a lot of these young men don't have father figures in their lives. And, yeah. uh, and there's a point where a young man, a, a boy, uh, his mother can no longer communicate with him the, the same way a yeah. man does, you yeah. know, yeah. and boys will always love their moms. But there's a point in life around, I say around 14, 15 years old where they kind of feel like, hey, I'm a man now. And I, I need, you know, some manly mentoring and manly guidance. Now, I'm not saying women can't raise boys. That's not what I'm saying here.
0: Yeah.
1: Because um, a lot of women have done great jobs raising young men without fathers around. Yeah. But 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 it, but, it, but, it, and, but if if a, a, a male can be in their life and that that can be it doesn't necessarily have to be a father man it can be a mentor a teacher you know somebody positive to look up to yeah uh, ha, has a has a, a, a big influence on how a, a, a young uh, black male can turn out yeah and I, and I tell my
0: sisters that I tell all women that said okay how much money you make how great of a mother and nurturer you already need men in their life. They need to be disciplined by a man. They need to hear from a man. They need to feel the presence of a man. And the funny, the interesting thing about my dad giving me that advice, my dad has never given me advice like that ever, other than don't get no felonies, these sons. Don't have kids too soon and keep good credit. My dad was in the streets. Um, he was a provider. He wasn't a guider. He bought me sneakers, right. video games. He came to basketball games, but he never showed me how to shoot a basketball. Right. And then I had resentment from him not Being spending quality time and I didn't have resentment from my mom, not being any emotionally for me. So I was just this young kid, like, yo, who loves me? So I felt unloved, so I gave all the love to my friends. And then as I got older, go back to what you said, I told my dad to this day, I said, I don't take you for granted, I don't take my mother for granted, I honor both of you because the wisdom you give me is greater than anything you could have gave me materially. And I said, dad, you gave, you put that decision, you put that battery in my back in 2010. I said, look right. at my life, all because of one conversation. Right. It's one conversation, right. boom. You. I said, my mom told me to go to Hampton. You see yes. what I'm saying? Right, she, right. She, so, I wanted to go to Northeast. And she said, I think you should go to Hampton. She told me to go to City College in Baltimore and then go to Hampton and VA. So right. when I really look at it, my parents will kind of guide me in a way that I didn't foresee because I wanted certain things from them. I wasn't getting.
1: So one thing too, we we have to understand as uh, as black men, and we have to look look at our our roots and our ancestors, right? So, yeah. so my father, listen, he didn't have the father the tools yeah. to be a good father. I mean, and his and my grandfather, uh, I've heard stories about him that weren't very flattering. He was in the streets, yeah. so. So we're all products of our environment, you know, yeah. and we you can't be something you're not. You can't pass something down that you don't have. Yeah, you can't get children. something you don't have. Right. So I so and I don't know if you have any kids or not. But what I predict, though, when you do father children, you're going to be a different kind of father. I can I can tell yeah. by talking to you. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like a father how, for a lot of people. Yeah, you're right. So that's kind of how that works. You know, so I think each generation tries to make it better. For the next and if we do that you know we can we can right a lot of these wrongs but but sometimes I, I do get a little discouraged because I feel like um, you know as black men sometimes we don't we don't stick with it I, you know relationships come and go but I feel like if you we should never let a relationship stop us from fathering and, and parenting Oh yeah for sure never and
0: that's the thing like my whole point of being in my position because you know having a lack of male role models and mentors, I realized I got three nephews now and a niece. So I didn't go pro in sports. I wanted to be a a professional basketball player. It didn't work. Anyway, I did well in school. I graduated with honors. So the goal, once I graduated and I got to LA, I said, man, I gotta go pro in life. Have to be a professional in life. And so I started reading books. I started learning things, going to seminars. like, what do I need to do to change? What do I need to do to evolve and be like men like yourself? And I was on your page earlier, and I just want you to kind of uh, give me your interpretation of these quotes. Uh, you say bad moral character and bad leadership are synonyms.
1: Are synonymous? Synonymous. Yeah. Yes. And and basically, what that means is I don't think a bad person, a person with bad moral character, lack of integrity, yeah, can be can lead people effectively. I just Don't believe that. You know what I mean? I think um, I think in order to lead people effectively, you've got to have some good in you. Yeah. And you've got to have some moral character, because a lot of times when we're in leadership positions, Eric, we're given a lot of responsibility. Uh, Like I'll give you just an example as a like as a Fortune 500 company. I mean, you're responsible for millions of dollars. Yeah. uh, Thousands of people. You can't institute something that starts siphoning off these people's money yeah. your investors money you know you can't uh, uh pay yourself under the table some side money you know so 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 a lot of times uh, you know we have to check ourselves self-regulation doing what's right when nobody's around you know yeah. it take it's hard to do it's very hard, you know, especially when temptation comes into it, you know. Yeah. And so, 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 that's what I meant by that that quote is that you know I feel like if you're a, 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 a if you're a person of poor moral character and 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 uh, you you will not be able to be an effective leader because you already have some things up there mentally that are that you're dealing with that you just you won't be able to make the right decisions. You won't be yeah. able to do uh the right thing when the right thing is required yeah and in the, and do you say how does one develop good moral character how do you develop that to have good moral leadership how does that happen for a person so so one of the things so from the time we're born we're we're taught right and wrong yeah the, one of the first things our parents start teaching us is right and wrong our, our teachers you know uh people our our, our uh, aunts and uncles People in our lives start teaching us right and wrong. Then we go to school; uh, we're, we're taught right and wrong. We've got laws, so we know. Hey, listen! I know if I go down the street here, and 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 and, and rob the, the store up the street, I'm, I'm gonna there's gonna be consequences behind it. Yeah, me. absolutely. So, so I think, I, I what I think, helps is. If you try to live your right life and and do what's right, you know, a friend of mine asked me years ago, he said, hey, man, I'm getting ready to take a leadership position. And uh, he says, what what advice would you give to me? And I had gotten this from someone else years ago. And I said, hey, you should always be able to get a good night's sleep. Hey! What what does that mean?
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Listen, okay, so now we all have, listen, we've all stayed up in bed all night, just with our eyes wide open because we know we did something wrong or we know we agreed to something we probably shouldn't have agreed to yeah or we implemented something we probably shouldn't have implemented so then you can't sleep because you know you did wrong yeah you're yeah, sitting yeah. That's there good. That's you're good. sitting there in the middle of the night eyes wide awake because you you can't sleep now you
0: can't sleep
1: yeah conversely when you do the right thing even if you you feel even if it turns out to be the wrong thing but your heart was pure and your intentions were good you sleep like a baby
0: yeah
1: that that stuff is not keeping you up at night because you you thought it out you you made a plan you you planned it out you said okay this is what i'm going to do right. and that's very heavy when it comes into being a leader and having people you're responsible for uh, and listen i've i've been i've made decisions uh, personnel decisions with people that worked for me that weren't right and I knew they weren't right. Some of it could have been bias, some of it could have been other factors that made me make a decision that I knew was wrong. And I stay up all night thinking about it because you're impacting people's lives here. You're responsible for developing uh, individuals and uh, making sure that they can provide for their families and that the company or the organization thrives so everybody can, uh, can live the American dream, you know?
0: Yeah, and- That's a lot of responsibility. It's crucial and it's vital because I believe some of us are born leaders. As a kid, I always felt the pressure to be responsible for people. Not even like they had nothing to do with my life, but I always was on this prowl. Like, I gotta get better, I gotta get up early, I need to like, iron my clothes, I need to go to school, and need to do good. It was like subconsciously, and then as I've gotten older, I talked to my sister, she was like, he was always disciplined. You always took the same route to school. You always ate oatmeal in the morning. You wouldn't let me hang around your friends. You were super disciplined. She's like, I was envious of you for that. I'm like, really? She was like, bro, kids were intimidated by you. I'm like, wow, it was nice. Like you were just so focused at an early age. It was like a grown man in a, a boy's body. And so I, I believe some of us are giving it and some of us we have to right. learn from experience. You have another quote. You say, learn to thrive outside your comfort zone because that is where you would spend most of your time. Most of your time, can you put that together? What do well, you mean
1: by that? I love the, the first half. <laughs> so so here's the thing. Um, and uh, so the other quote that I saw that, and, and, and it wasn't, that, that one of mine was original, but the other one was uh, a comfort zone is a nice place, but nothing ever grows there. Right? Yeah,
0: absolutely, there we go.
1: So here's the thing about the comfort zone. So what I have experienced in business and in life is nothing it rarely rarely do things go as i plan them i mean i could sit down here especially when i was working for the government now if you want to see some stuff <laughs> man the government man i'm telling you you know and that's i always tell people the conspiracy theorists out there who say well the government's behind this i said dude we couldn't plan a meeting we could not come together on what time to meet yeah. so i so for us to for the government to plan this elaborate scheme you know but anyway so my thing um whenever i tried to do something or plan my best laid plans they always there was some monkey wrench thrown in there at the last minute and i had to make adjustments and i had to overcome you know say my equipment not working you know i've I've scheduled this meeting with you know 200 people and my equipment doesn't work yeah what what is your backup plan you got to have a contingency for that there we go so what I started doing is making copies of stuff. You know, I have a backup. plan. I have a thumb drive in my pocket. You know, I've got a a speech on my phone that I can give out, you know? And so that's what I mean by that, because, uh, you know, we can, we, we can have the best plan in the world, but if something goes wrong, which a lot of times it will, you have to be able to adapt. So that's what I mean by that, you know, learn to live outside your comfort zone because that's where you're going to be most of the time.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll add to that. I'm taking a course, and in the course, it talks about um, one of the steps. It said the, strong, is the strongest and the smartest are not the most successful or the richest. It's the people who are most adaptable. Adaptability. You have to be able to adapt at all times. I, I agree with that. If you want to evolve and succeed. So before we get out of here, I just have one question, maybe two, and then I want you to talk a little bit more about the book. Um, where we can get it and what's your synopsis. I mean, you, you talked about it before. So as as a black race and culture, what do you think in this moment right now is working for us? And what do you think is challenging us? or what is our biggest struggle?
1: So, what I think is working for us, uh, I see, and people may differ with my opinions on this, but I see uh, I see a lot of opportunities uh for, for African Americans for black people. And I see them. You've got a, a black vice president, we've had a black president for eight years. Um, I think uh the, the economy's turning around, you know, there's there's opportunities in education. And I and I think overall, um, you know, post-pandemic, and I think we're, I, I'm noticing now, I just, yesterday, I think I watched, the numbers are starting to come down on this pandemic. So I think we're, um, we're, we're moving in the right direction when it comes to uh, progress as far as uh, uh, getting opportunities.
0: Okay, I like that. Uh,
1: one, one of the things I would like to see more of, I would like to see more Blacks involved in their local government. Mm. Uh, And what I'm talking about is uh, school boards, uh, district uh, city council, town council, this type stuff, because I think a lot of times we focus on Washington, D.C. so much when that stuff doesn't necessarily impact us as as directly as having the right school board members. You know, if you've got kids in school, you want to make sure you've got people on that board that are going to look out for kids and have the requisite experience to look out for kids, you know. One of the things about our, our politics in America is you can, anybody can run, you, you know, you don't have to have any experience. Yeah. You know, you just have to have a, a, a campaign money and, and have people, you know, uh, uh, back you. Yeah. So I think uh, we should get, uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that I would like to see more of. As far as uh, your second part of that was, uh, what do you think is, is hurting us? Yeah, we struggle with the most that we probably could get some help or be more aware yeah. of. Yeah. So, so I, I definitely, I, I think, well, one of the things I wish we could do, I wish we could get people to uh, to treat us on our merit and, and not lump us in, you know, just, just give us opportunity, give us a chance to prove who we are. Listen, there are bad people and there are good people in all walks of life, in all races. Yeah. But one of the things that bothers me is sometimes it, it especially as a black male, you're automatically uh, lumped in and you're, you're, you're looked at, you know, I I told you about the vacations I take, you know, my wife and I, we go, uh, we go to sometimes resorts, we go to nice places. And uh, I I will tell you, uh, I get looks, I get, uh, you know, people mistake me for a worker, you know, Uh, I've gone down to the gym and in the, in the, on the first floor and, you know, people leave. You know, and and look, none of this stuff, now I am, uh, I have the mental capacity to deal with all this. I've dealt with it for a long, long time. Yeah. But I can understand how it can really frustrate uh, young black men and young black people. So I I think uh, the the biggest struggle we have is just in 2022, it's still being accepted as a, a productive members of society, man, which we have been throughout our history. Yeah. Throughout our history here, we have contributed greatly to this nation. Mm-hmm. So what I would like to see is people treat us that way. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we we, we we deserve that, just like everyone else. And uh, so that's kind of... No, you know, I respect that. And, it, and it's true. And it's, it's like do, it is
0: a time and place where you, you do, on not on a surface level, but internally, you feel like you got to prove yourself.
1: Oh yeah. Like, you, no know, like,
0: you know, like, you know, especially when it comes to like prof- professional stuff outside of sports and athletics. Yeah. yeah. You got to prove yourself. Yeah. You do this? yeah. Yeah. And so I pride myself on education, information changes situation, even what, you know, going to getting bank loans and improving your credit, getting a certain type of credit cards and osmosis, you know, hanging with different type of people just to see uh, what are they learning? What are they thinking about? Uh, A client of mine, uh, George, got pretty successful, and I was asking him, I said, look, why does the bank want to acquire so much debt? He said, well, look, the the bank's money is a product, and they need to sell their product, their money, to make money. And I was like, oh, right, that makes sense. You know, so things like that, there's a a movie, I believe, I don't know if I remember the term, came out in the 70s, the title something like the crook by the door or the guy infiltrated the spook spook by the door infiltrated the the CIA behind the door yeah so you know I don't know if that was your intention when you went to army I don't think it was but I think for me it's not that energy but it's more so I want to know what you know like what do you know how are you doing this you've been doing this for three decades how yeah oh okay so you you wait. your mindset your mentality yeah oh you don't have trauma around it. oh okay oh you grew up different yeah. So
1: what you're saying is you're allowing yourself to be mentored.
0: Yes.
1: Now, I want to talk about that real briefly, too, because one of the things that black men in particular struggle with is mentoring mentor relationships. Um, you know, one of the big uh, problems we're having right now on uh, college campuses, both both uh, white colleges and HBCUs is the African-American male population is dwindling fast. Mm. And one of the things is that has come out is that they, young male young males won't go to the guidance counselor to, to figure out, you know, to, to kind of get back on track. Yeah. It's like, hey, I, I can't ask for help. I'm soft. You know, you're soft if you need help. You know, yeah. you're soft if you go to somebody and ask for for, for assistance, you know. And, yeah. and this is a mentality that has been in our communities for many, many years. I mean, I grew up that way. I mean, look, you just didn't complain, man. You sucked everything up. You dealt with it your own way. You internalized it, but you didn't go and say, Hey, I don't understand this. I need help. You, you yeah. couldn't do it. So, so that's one of the things. So, so I, so I applaud you for, you know, saying that you allow yourself to be mentored because oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that is a uh, very important. I mean, even at my age now, I still have people that I lean on for information, you know, because we don't know. We don't have it all. I've got a couple of friends. I've got one that uh, is a psychologist. Yeah. And I talk to him regularly. And then, you know, that guy, he's, you know, he's trained. So he understands human behavior and a lot of the things I run by him, you know, he, we, we discuss it. So isn't there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. And I love learning and I'm, I'm a lifelong nerd. Like I'm gonna always be learning to ask questions to better my understanding so I can add value to the people I'm trying to teach and motivate. So, right. um, right hey general i mean sergeant matthew r drayton thank you thank you for your time thank you for your energy where can we get your book uh where is it leading Wild black we got to get it i need to put in my order today so if you, i don't know it's, it's on amazon or it's on yep. your website uh so, we got to get it
1: so yep so you can find the book okay. on uh amazon.com okay. yeah uh my website is mattdrayton.com. uh that uh leading wild black and succeeding wild black are both on there as well Got it. as well as my uh social media handles all of them so Got it. Uh, please follow me um on social media i try to post positive things most of the time yeah. every now and then you know i'll slide a picture of my food in there <laughs> <laughs> cuz i love to eat you know uh, yeah, when, yeah, so, yeah. so i don't have to weigh in anymore when i was in the military you know i had to weigh in all the time it's right right yeah they they don't play that right but and i still you know i still work out and try we know we, did, we never did talk about the fitness stuff but that's okay yeah, but, um, well, I
0: mean, we, we, can, we, we can end with this. So, so to everyone listening, we're going to finish this interview like very soon. But before we got on, he spoke on the elderly and young trainers. So young trainers, fitness trainers, male, female, be aware that the same energy you give young counterparts of people, 20, 30s, 40s, you should give to elderly. And so my interpretation and my perspective and experience, my older clients are more driven and motivated than my younger clients. I told my client the other day, he's 66 years old, my, one of my mentors. I said, you know what I like about you? And he was tired. He's like, oh man, those hurt. I said, you know what I like about you? You show up no matter what's going on in your life, you come to the gym and you give me the best you can give. And that's all I asked for. Right. He's 66 years old, this guy's uber successful, You know, has a lot of responsibility, but this guy shows up twice a week. And
1: he's on it. Yep. And that's that's the key. You know, uh, like I I would tell any trainer, you know, I I, uh, I most recently uh, worked at a fitness facility, a commercial fitness facility. I've worked at three, uh, including one that was attached to a hospital. So most of our uh, clients there just got fed to us based on health reasons. But what I've learned is uh, as a trainer, most of your clients will be older. Yeah. Uh, because most of the people that are young and in shape, they don't really need a trainer. So, right. so you'll get older clients. You'll get clients with uh, postural distortions and other things. So just work with them and, uh, and be available that that's be available. And if you can get them to show up, that's, I don't care what you do as a trainer. If you if nobody shows up, you ain't training. Yeah. So, so you have to motivate them to show up like you're doing with the 66 year old gentleman.
0: Yeah. And, it, and it's important because there's something you're going to learn about someone who's older than you, about what's in their mind at their age and how they feel about their body, how they feel about their life. And it makes you appreciate your life and what you have. So you don't take anybody for granted, no matter what age or size or what background. But, you know, one thing, you know, uh, Matt Drayton is going to teach us how to lead while black, while black. and if, if you're a leader in general. You know you can get gems and inspiration from his book, so get the book. It's on Amazon. Follow him on Instagram. Are you on Twitter as well?
1: I'm on Twitter. All Twitter. my handles. All of my handles are out on uh, on website. my uh, website mattdrayton.com. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn,
0: LinkedIn, Twitter, hitting. Instagram,
1: yeah. all of those. So I really appreciate you having me. It was uh, hey, a a pleasure for, speaking with you.
0: Yes, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for a bigger talk conversation. This was what's needed. Thank you, brother love all right man much love peace